0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So Lord, we do come now in anticipation of what you'll show us in your word. And by the power of your spirit, we come now asking you to Just do exactly what Bill already prayed, to to make your son and his purposes and his plans and his kingdom and his church real to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are in the third week of Advent, and as we've been looking around our neighborhood and we've been... uh, Remembering this season, there is something beautiful in the midst of December where it gets very dark very early. And when you wake up and it's still dark, as Nick was noticing on our drive-in today to his chagrin, that you can see Christmas lights, right? There's light shining in the darkness. And there is something beautiful about light shining in the darkness, Some of you go all out for your Christmas decorating and others of you are more subtle. But we can all agree that there is something a little bit compelling and attractive about all of it. So our family has this tradition every year where we plan out this great Christmas day and then everything kind of gets messed up and at the last minute we rush out and we see Christmas lights together. So we... We grab hot chocolate. We grab candy canes. And then what we do is we just drive around the neighborhoods and we try to explore new neighborhoods every year just to look at lights. And we just search for the most beautiful lights in the neighborhood. And there's just a lot of, hey, go down that street. Hey, I want to see that. Hey, there's a a huge blow-up Santa doll. That's crazy, right? And so we're just searching for beauty, So what we're doing, we just want to see beautiful things in the darkness. And that's what Advent season is really about as a church together. We're searching for beautiful and compelling light in the midst of the darkness of our day. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, wrote in Luke 179, here's what he said, that Jesus would come into the world as a baby to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. In other words, mankind was in darkness. Jesus came to bring light. That's why we love light shining in the darkness. That's why everyone loves light shining in the darkness, whether they know it or not. Mankind was sentenced to the shadow of death, and Jesus came to lead us into the way of peace. So in Advent, what we're after is hope in the true light, the King of kings, Jesus Christ, who brings light of life, flooding into the darkness of our death. The world has been dark with death since sin entered in Genesis 3. It's so easy to look around and go, what are we ever going to do in this mess that we're in now? But you read through the Bible, it's been messy for a while. And yet in that same chapter is really where Advent starts. Because in that same chapter, there was a promise that one would come and bring the light of life and crush sin and death for all who would trust Him. And we saw this in our text even last week. It looked like darkness had won when the Son of God who entered the world laying in a cradle cradle, had His life ended hanging on a cross. Can you imagine a darker moment for his followers, for the world, when when this one who's supposed to come and be the Messiah, the Lord of all, is hanging on a cross? But Peter preached in this sermon that he rose again. He rose again to conquer death, redemption from the slave yard of sin, and into the family of God is available for all who will see their sin against King Jesus and simply repent. So, just the good news of repentance. Last week, that all we do, having committed treason against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we don't have to work our way up morally, have to prove our faithfulness, prove that we'll get it right next time, that we won't sin again until we just repent. What good news in this Advent scene. So let's just think for a moment about the, the light of redemption together, the beauty of redemption together. Here is the beauty of Advent and the beauty of the story of the Bible We bring nothing to the table. Nothing. You bring nothing to the table of your salvation. We're born into sin. It is most natural to us to rebel against our Savior. How many of you had to teach your kids to sin? Like You're just too righteous. Let me walk you into what it's like to sin. It does not happen. We're born into sin. And not only us, but as we look around us, there's sin and chaos everywhere. The world cannot save itself. And yet the beauty of redemption is that before the foundation of the world, a plan was made to send the Son of God, the King of kings, into the world to, to die for sins and be raised from the dead so that all who would turn from sin and run to Him would be saved. That is the light of Advent. Is that your greatest hope in this Advent season? Is that bring you joy as you drive around and see the light shining in the darkness? Does it remind you that there is a light who has shone into your darkness? The one who said, let there be light, has shone into your heart and revealed the glory of God in the face of Christ. And family, the good news is that not only has He shone into your hearts, but there is a day coming When He will calm and redeem the sin and chaos all around us and make all things new. That's what Advent is about. He's done this in me. He's come. I trust Him. He's died the death for my sins. He's been raised to life. I'm alive with Him. And He's coming again soon to make all things new. And we bolster ourselves in that hope during this Advent season. And today in our text, we get to see how this repentance And this redemption begins to work its way out in this new people of God. So let's dive in here. Point number one is the waters that welcome. Last week we saw Peter finish his sermon and he calls people to repentance. It was a serious word, right? They had rejected the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of King Jesus. And Peter just pointed at them and said, you murdered him. You're guilty of His crucifixion. You did this. And the answer for their treason was repent. And we say that's still true of us. That the Word of Christ, do this painful heart surgery of opening up our hearts, piercing to the bone and marrow, revealing all the ugliness that's there, and repent and turn to Jesus. And that's not just a one-time thing. Yes, once and for all He died. Once and for all we repent and we have Him. But the Christian life is a life of repentance. I can't remember a day I didn't have multiple things to repent for in my life. So he says, repent. And then he says, be baptized. And so let's pick back up in verse 41, since we're good Baptists, and look at the results of that sermon and that repentance and what is baptism all about. So look at verse 41 with me. It says, so those who received his word... Were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That is a miracle. The Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, cuts to the heart of 3,000 souls, works genuine repentance. They receive His Word, receive forgiveness, and they come into the family of God. Can you imagine being there? What a joyful mess has just been created in the church of God. right? Now, why were they baptized? Why, why, why were they baptized? Why would Peter say, hey, repent and be baptized? When Peter tells them to be baptized, because I think in the Great Commission, Jesus told him, go and baptize them. So we need then to ask the question about what's the significance of baptism? Why include this? It's not repentance, but he says repent and be baptized. So what I want to do is I want to Look at that by answering two questions. Where does baptism come from? What's the symbolism there? And then, who is it for? Where does it come from and who is it for? So first, where does this come from? Well, in the Old Testament, you can read story after story and psalm after psalm. All this symbolism, all these stories, especially following the story of the flood, where we see water as a symbol of judgment in the chaos of sin. Now these Jewish believers would have known this. They would have known the symbolism of water as as judgment and chaos. In the book of Revelation, in the new heavens and the new earth, we see that the sea will be no more. No, No matter how you read Revelation, that phrase would sound odd until you realize the symbolism of judgment and chaos. So Revelation 21 is saying the hope of this new covenant people in the new heavens and new earth, when we're not in the already, not yet, when we're not almost there, but we're there, is that the sin and the judgment and the chaos that goes with it is gone. That's the good news in Revelation 21, that the sea will be no more. And then we see Jesus bring up this symbolism of baptism and judgment in Mark 10.38. The disciples, as normal, are being uh, right, great followers of Jesus. They're arguing about who gets to sit on his right hand and who gets to sit on his left hand. And here's how he responds. Mark 10, 38, he says, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? That's a strange thing to say, isn't it? So what was he talking about? Well, in that moment where he would take on the judgment of sin, he calls it a baptism. He talks about it like it's a baptism. And in a sense, he knows he'll be passing through the judgment water soon. He will die and then he will rise again. That's why he calls it a a baptism. And that's why Jesus then calls his disciples to baptize all who trust in him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's picking up on this theme that we are united in his death and resurrection and we pass through the judgment waters With him. That's what baptism is supposed to symbolize. That's where it comes from. So then who is it for? Now the answer might seem obvious from what we've already said, but baptism is for those who have trusted in Jesus, are united in his death and resurrection, and this is an outward declaration of what has already happened internally. We can just see it in Acts two. Who was baptized in Acts two? Look at verse forty one. Those who received His Word. Not just everybody, but those who received His Word. We don't know for sure what happened to people who thought the apostles were drunk. But it's those who receive His Word who are then baptized. We see a similar thing throughout Acts. It's those who receive the gospel preached. Those who repent. Those who hear and take in the word that are baptized. In other words, preaching the gospel and people receiving the gospel always precedes dunking in the New Testament. Receiving the word always precedes receiving the waters of baptism. In other words... Baptism is not the same as repentance or even part of repentance. It is the outward sign of repentance and a declaration that says, I'm all in with the people of God. I'm all in with King Jesus. So as we baptize people at the South Campus, Daniel's woos are worthy woos. Because we're making a statement about what's happening We're declaring who we've trusted in as a people. We're declaring that we're a people united around the life, death, and resurrection of King Jesus. We're declaring that our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is our deepest identity. We're declaring our hope for salvation and life and joy in Jesus Christ alone. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Thing to declare. I just want to say right now, maybe you're sitting in and you've been a Christian for 25 years and you've never been baptized. Come on in. Daniel will woo for you. We would love you to do this. Don't feel bad because it hasn't happened yet, but if you haven't done this, take the step of obedience and declare, I'm all in with Jesus. So why am I hanging out here for a minute beyond just that we're Baptists? I'm hanging out here to remind us where we have declared allegiance. What we have said about ourselves in baptism. What we have said we believe in. What we have said we're united in. What we have said we'll be united around. Where our deepest identity is. That's what baptism symbolizes. Our deep, true salvation and our deep, true bonds in the family of God all senator on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Pastor Daniel is right. That's what we say every week over and over and over here. We preach the same sermon over and over and over from different parts of the Bible because it's all about Him. And that's what baptism declares. Kids, I was thinking about how to help you get this, and I think we could compare it to how a, a sports team wears a jersey. Right, The jersey doesn't make them a part of the team. You're a part of the team before you ever put on that jersey. You, you practice and you work out together or whatever thing you're a part of where then you have to dress the same. Right? It could be a school, it could be uh, a choir, it could be an orchestra, it could be whatever. But the jersey doesn't make you a part of the team. But when you put that jersey on, it says something to everyone around you. It shows the reality that you're on the team and that now you share a commitment to see that team thrive. To work for the good of the team. To continually be a part of the team. To know the team. And so in other words, the waters of baptism here that we see in verse 41 are the waters that are saying welcome to the family. They're the waters that are saying welcome to the team of King Jesus. And it's a commitment to help each other follow our king until the day he keeps his promise to return. So baptism symbolizes that that's why they were baptized. Th- think about the moment they were living in too. What it would have meant to declare allegiance to Jesus Christ in the midst of the persecution that was about to come. This was a, a big moment to say we're in with Jesus. Point number two, the worship that works. So we see these people repent, They pass through the welcoming waters of baptism. And here's what we're seeing. We're seeing the redeemed people of God. That's who's here. Forgiven by God, filled by the Spirit of God to carry out the promise of their baptism as they live for their king. There are no Lone Ranger Christians even from the first verses of the church. We don't see any Lone Ranger Christians. Right away we see these redeemed people together. And then what we see in verses 42 to 47 is that from the very first verse of the first church being gathered together, they are primarily marked by worship. This will be a community, a people that will orient themselves around worship of the king until he comes again. That's what we're about. So look at verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now we've seen the word devoted before in chapter 1 about their devotion to prayer. And we said then that it's a a stubbornness. I'm I'm not going to stop until I experience your presence. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep praying, keep coming. I want more of you. Here we see they're devoted to apostles' teaching, fellowship with one another, breaking of bread together, and praying together. And the point of all this is that they're devoted to Christ and His kingdom and His people from day one. <laughs> right? Like They didn't plan this or program this or go, what's the best uh, shepherding plan here? They just started getting together. They were devoted to this. Why? Because this is a people that have been saved by King Jesus and who have the Holy Spirit in them who gives them an unquenchable thirst for Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Looking around at these 3,000 people and going, what are we going to (laughs) do? What are we going to do? We should get more of Jesus, right? We should do that together. Right. He, he, something's happening here. What, what should we do? What else could you do besides go after more of Jesus? Look at verses 43 and 47 when we see this theme of worship. It says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And they are praising God and having favor with all the people. This is what the redeemed people of God love to give their their lives to. The Word of God, prayer, and asking for the power of the Spirit. There's a reason that you learn that in Sunday school. (laughs) Pray. Read your Bible. Seek help from the Holy Spirit. There's a reason that you hear it in almost every sermon. This is what the Christian life is all about. This is what should never get old. Why are they doing this? Because they want more of Jesus. They can't help but worship. And the best way to honor the king that has saved you is to ask to see more of him. Give us more of you in the word. Give us more of you in prayer. Give us more of you by the power of the spirit. And let us do it with a bunch of desperate, needy lovers of Jesus. Kids, maybe you're like me and you love the holiday season because there's all sorts of really good desserts. So if you ever tasted a really good dessert and when something is really good, what do you want? What do you ask your parents for? More. <laughs> I want more. Right? My kids ask me 73 times. Right? I want more. Can I have more? That's what this was like, only so much better. Right? When we taste something good, when something is sweet to us, when something is amazing, we want more. And that's what this was like. These people had been saved from their sins. Can you imagine that? We crucified the king one moment. We hear this sermon. He comes and he meets us and we repent and we're saved. We want more of this king. They couldn't get enough of his presence and power. And what happens when there's a people like that is worship changes things. We don't worship because it changes things. We worship because he's worthy, but when worship like this is happening, it it changes things. We don't get to choose what God does, but often what God does is work in a people devoted like this to change the very climate and culture they live in. Now, I think the early church would have just laughed when they realized how many different people came along after them, like looking and like, what, what did they do? Like, like, here's the ideal church. Can, can you imagine that? We're trying to figure out what the ideal church is seven seconds after it happened. This was not a proud people. It's like, follow us. Do, do, do church like us. Model church after us, right? Be careful that you, you do all the things that we did. This was a repentant people. This is a people like, we don't know what to do. We just need more of Jesus. We've never done this before. We need more of Jesus. All we know is He's saved us from our sins. He's, he's making us into a people and we want other people to know Him. That's all we know. Maybe the lesson is we get, get back to that being all we know. just need more of you. need more of Christ. So what did it produce? As repentance led to a people that led to worship. What came from this worship? Well, number one, it produced a holy fear. This can almost sound strange because they knew now that they had passed through the waters of judgment. So you'd think all fear was gone, but even later on it says they walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the fear of God. They still trembled in fear before the holiness of their king as he worked wonders. Get to Acts 5 with... Ananias and Sapphira, there's still a holy fear to walk in. You read 1 Corinthians 11 about communion, and you see that some people died because they weren't rightly examining themselves. Our God doesn't mess around with sin all the more for His family. He loves us too much to leave us in our sin. He loves us too much to make us comfortable in our sin. And so as these wonders are being worked and they're seeing His power for what it really is for the first time, they are trembling in fear before the holiness of their God as He works wonders. When was the last time we trembled before the holiness of God as He worked His power among us? Just don't talk that way much in church anymore. Trembling before our holy God who is here with us right now. Sees everything. Sees our rebellion and our sin and our brokenness. We should tremble before Him. When was the last time that we expected that He could work wonders like this? That we prayed prayers big enough for the God of Genesis 1? Created everything out of nothing. Nothing. What would that look like to be a a trembling, expectant people? Do you have a desire to see all the rebellion in every corner of your heart melt away in His presence? That's what was going on here. He's holy. We're trembling. Take away my rebellion. Help me bow to you with every corner of my life. Second, It produced praise. In the midst of persecution and uncertainty, it produced praise. It produced glad hearts as they gathered. We are in the midst of all sorts of uncertainty. Do you find yourself praising God and having a glad heart? Is that how you describe your heart in these days? Just glad because Jesus is king and I'm forgiven. Notice it helped them have favor with all people. So as they were all in with their devotion to Jesus, their love for him and one another, the outside community noticed and longed for what they saw there. I think we see a hint of the great commandment and commission here. Devotion to Christ overflows to help us love our neighbors and make disciples. Now you've heard the phrase you can be too heavenly minded to do any earthly good. It's just a bad phrase. You can't be You can't be too set on Christ to do any earthly good. People set on Christ, devoted to Christ, all in with Christ, will not be able to not overflow because you can't help but want to share the treasure. Our God is a God by nature who overflows. And when He lives inside of you, that will happen. I want these things for us. Pastor David prayed something in the the prayer room earlier on, something like, I'll paraphrase him, hopefully he's okay with that. Something like, Lord, we've seen you move in miraculous, powerful ways before, and we long for it again. Do we? Do you long for it with me again? Do you want this for us? Do you believe this can happen among us? Or is this just kind of a nostalgic thing we like to read in Acts 2 and think about what could be maybe someday out there if we have the right plan? Could this be us now? I want these things for us. Holy trembling, praise, glad hearts, favor with all. Imagine a people devoted to these things here at the South Campus with these kinds of outcomes. I would love to see the self suburb shake with the glory of Christ. How can we take steps towards this? I just want to give you practical steps. We've been memorizing Romans eight. It's a way to be devoted to the word. When we start 2021, we're going to memorize Acts four together as a church. We're going to give you a guide to that. Just want you to dive in with us. Be devoted to the Word. With us, we've got a, a Bible reading plan that's available be devoted to the Word with us. Hop into our Wednesday night classes to be devoted to the apostles' teaching and prayer from nursery all the way to adult. This is what we're about. Love Jesus. Know Jesus. Be devoted to Jesus. Pray to Jesus. I love our car rides home on Wednesday nights with my family where all my kids have heard the same story at different levels and we're just talking about Jesus together. Come and be a part of it. Come to worship every Sunday one way or another. Join us for Friday prayer, 6.30 a.m. or noon. Figure out a way to make it or set those sides of time yourself to to go ahead and go after the Lord. Do this privately. Do this in your small groups. Do this in your Titus two groups. Do this at moms. Put your phone away and get on your knees this Advent season. just want you to, to connect the dots with what we're seeing in Acts and what we're trying to Set up for you here at the South Campus. That's the goal to be this kind of people devoted to these things. Those who have repented and been welcomed into the kingdom by the waters of baptism are those who have an unquenchable thirst to experience more of his presence and power of King Jesus and to see others experience it with them. I mean, just, just think about what we're doing right now. We do it week after week. And we missed it when we couldn't do it week after week, didn't we? In this same way. But we do it week after week and it can get old. We can forget what it's about. But could anything be more awesome than radically pursuing the presence and the power of the King together? Is there anything more awesome than that? Going after Jesus together with other desperate, needy, Christ lovers. I want this for us here. We have been redeemed. We're welcome in the family. We have the Spirit. Let's be devoted. Let's see what He does if we worship this way. Finally, point number three the warmth that witnesses. This worship in awe and thankfulness and holy fear produced a family that radically loved each other. We see this idea of fellowship in verse 42. See fellowship there in 42. The next time we see this word is in verse 44. So read verse 44 with me. It says, And all who believe were together and had all things in common. The word for common here comes from the same word for fellowship, which means that they had fellowship even with their stuff. Like they had fellowship in Christ with their stuff. Look at verse 45. It shows us what it means. It says, They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had any need. So what does it mean to fellowship with your stuff? It means they took care of each other. It means they realized they were a family. They knew they'd be persecuted, but they were committed to taking care of each other. The Spirit worked to unite them as citizens of heaven. And as a true family, so much that when there was a need, they would sell their stuff to provide for others. I mean, this just struck me this week in a new way. I don't think I've ever heard about someone's medical bill or rent that they needed paid or some need and had my first thought be, oh, I should go sell my car. I just haven't had that thought. I'm not saying there's a one-to-one ratio here. I'm just saying like, what was going on here that, that doesn't go on in my mind? When, when people are all in for Christ, His people and His kingdom, I think what happened is that money and stuff is just a tool for the sake of His name. Doesn't matter if I have it or someone else has it. Doesn't matter if I have it or I sell it for a need. Doesn't matter if I have it or I give it to the kingdom. It just doesn't matter. It's just stuff. I'm not living for here. This isn't my hope. This isn't my home. I know where my hope and my home is and it's not here so I can just give it all away. That's what's going on here. We see later on in 1 Corinthians that Gentile churches raised money to support other poor saints in Jerusalem, probably Jews. Think about what the gospel did. The animosity that was between Gentile and Jew, and now we see Gentiles gladly just giving stuff away to support these needy Jewish saints. We see people pour out generosity for the sake of the ministry in the New Testament. What is going on here? Well, in the end, I think there's a a family who's put on the jersey of King Jesus and they want to make sure the family is cared for and the ministry goes on so that others can know their king and be a part of the family. I think it's that simple and that profound. This is happening because of how devoted they are to Jesus. There's such awe and wonder and praise and thankfulness and devotion that the Spirit works to just loosen their hands on their stuff and their comforts for the sake of each other and for the spread of the gospel. Man, I want to see that happen (laughs) among us in these south suburbs. I want to see it happen in my own heart more. Our hope here is that as you're a part of this family, that you'll use all you have, your time, your talents, your treasures, for the sake of Jesus, because you want to. Because the Holy Spirit has done this this loosening work of your grip on everything in your life, that as we take a a helping hand offering for the needy among us today, that you'd go, I'm going to give whatever I got in my pockets. You can have it. I don't need it. I obviously wasn't spending it. That as we approach the end of the year here at Bethlehem, that you'd want to give to the work of the kingdom here because you want to see other souls saved. Finally, notice in verses 42 and 46 this idea of fellowship and breaking bread most commentators think this refers to meals together common meals together that also included the lord's supper particularly when they were gathered as a bigger group you can read all the different commentaries there's all sorts of ideas but i think the bottom line is that there was a gathering around the table that was marked by thankfulness and glad hearts together as a family it's the main thing that's going on here. And then when they gathered as a fuller family together, they would often include the Lord's Supper as a way to remember their king, remember they were to be united as a family around his death and resurrection. So another way to say it would be if baptism is the, the welcome to the family moment, then the Lord's Supper would be kind of the weekly family meal to remember our identity and calling. We get these pictures. We get to rehearse over and over again remember who we are. These verses in Acts 2, are really where the idea of blood-bought family comes from. Now, many of you have said, love this idea, we see this becoming more of a reality among us. Others have said, sometimes we don't feel like a family yet. Family has failed me in this way, and in this way. Now just say, I get that. I didn't start saying it all the time, because I thought we were awesome at it. That's not what a pastor does. (laughs) Start saying it all the time because you say, we want to be this. Do you see we want to be this? Do you see this in the Bible? Do you see what we're called to? I don't say it because we're perfect. In fact, we're going to see all sorts of problems with the church in Acts. Or go read 1 Corinthians. That church was messed up in every single way. I don't say it because we're perfect. I say it because I want it for us. And I say it even more than that I want it for us because it's true whether you like it or not. We are a family. Some of you maybe don't like being in this family right now. You're struggling with this family. You're frustrated with other members of the family. Some of you are are loving it and eating it up and it's a good season. Either way, this is your family if you're a member here at the South Campus. Not because of how much you like it or not because of Jesus Christ. The best families are not those where every member is focused on if they're getting enough, if they're being included, if they're being left out, how the family is helping them. The best families are those who go, how do I I help? How do I serve? How do I love? How do I look for need? How do I move towards need? Whether I like it or not. You are my family. You are my family. We are family. That's what the gospel does. Now we can't manufacture this or fake it. What we can do is be devoted to our King together and pray the Spirit starts to do this. And I praise God that I have front row seats to all kinds of behind-the-scenes acts of love. Meals being made, Moves being helped with, hospital visits, cards, gift cards, forgiveness, prayers prayed, and so many other practical needs that are happening among us that I praise God for you. This leads to the application, the beauty of redeemed people. So at the beginning we looked at the beauty of redemption, when God saves a sinner. But now I want us to see the beauty of a redeemed people. The world saw this joy of this people amidst persecution. They saw this holy living and holy loving and they were drawn to it. Deep down, the world knows it is broken, sinful, and deeply wants to experience true self-giving love. We all want that at our heart of hearts. And there might have never been a time in our society where homes and families, and just that whole idea is more broken than now. People are, are longing for this more than ever, right? People are lonelier than ever. You can go read every statistic and for all the, the social media and ways that we are connected, this is the, the loneliest, most depressed, most afraid, most fearful generation of our society that just feels totally disconnected without any belonging to anything. And that's not me, the pastor, saying that. You can go read any secular study and that's what every study is finding, And they can't get what they're looking for apart from Jesus. Like, how hopeless is that? And so, as beautiful as redemption is in every individual case, as the the light of life breaks into the darkness of a dead heart, how much more exponentially beautiful is a redeemed family? How much more exponentially beautiful is that to the world? How much more beautiful is a a family of people united around the most important things and devoted to the most important things in such a way that they love each other this deeply and serve each other this sacrificially. That doesn't happen anywhere else. How beautiful a family that acts out the gospel as they forgive each other. And they're patient with each other. They give grace to each other. And they're merciful with each other. How beautiful a family that loves as they have been loved. Imperfectly, yes, but truly. How beautiful is a family that's alive, thankful, trembling before God, and therefore eager to lay down their rights for the sake of others. Man, it is easy to love people that agree with you. I love me a lot because I agree with me all the time. It is hard to love people and lay down my rights for those people that disagree with me. It is hard for you to do that, but how beautiful a family where that's always happening. What about a family that keeps first things first and is not distracted from their mission? This is what the gospel does. It always does this, right? It, it just always does this. This is day one of Christianity. Christianity. This isn't like some advanced calculus class of Christianity. This is day one of Christianity. This is what the Spirit empowers. We give ourselves to the Word, to prayer, to fellowship, and the Spirit fills our cups with the power and presence of King Jesus so that we just start dripping everywhere. Dripping on each other. Dripping in our neighborhoods. It's, it's overflowing so that we're just getting everyone wet with Jesus. And notice the beautiful result as people are moved from death to life forever. Look at the end of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. I want this church to grow. I do. That's a good thing. And I would really love it if it grew because we were telling people about Jesus and new people were being added to the kingdom day by day. As we devote ourselves to our King, the Spirit works and creates an imperfect but beautiful, gospel-drenched, fear-filled, self-sacrificing people that love each other and are desperate for other people to know their King with them. The light shines in the darkness through the blood-bought people of God. Not just one light, but what I want us to be like here at the South Campus is like that neighborhood that my kids see from a distance. They go, what is that? Like something's going on over there. Like those neighbors conspired together or at least they're guilty enough that they can't be the one house, right? That doesn't have the lights. And like we might be a half mile away and we're zigging and we are zagging and we are going the wrong way on roundabouts, right? To try to get to this neighborhood, to see these lights. And I want us to be like that here in Lakeville, here in the, the south suburbs. And when that happens, God adds to their number. So I'm praying this kind of Spirit-empowered life together for us. This is what Jesus purchased by His first coming. This is what He does in repentance. This is what He does when He gives His people the Spirit. And this is what Jesus is doing until He comes again. So let me give you a couple minutes here to just go to the Lord, ask Him to help you be devoted in a fresh way, Today, again, ask him to come and meet you in your weakness. Ask him to help you love this family again. Ask him to help you lay down bitterness and frustration. And then in a couple of minutes, we have the privilege of eating and drinking with Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others